Hello, friends, and welcome to the Hourglass Podcast. I'm Christina Dees, and I'm your host. Join me as we explore the lives of entrepreneurs and side hustlers who are doing what they love, living the dream, so to speak. Each episode features an in-depth conversation with the guests about their founding story and how they got to where they are today. Get ready to feel the rhythm, embrace the culture, and discover the magic of reggae. Mark your calendars for the highly anticipated Reggae on the River, Friday, June 30th. Head down to Marina Grill Pier in downtown Wilmington, North Carolina for a night of pure reggae bliss. The lineup is stacked with incredible talent guaranteed to make your soul groove. Picture this, Signal Fire, Steel Pulse, Collie Buds, Makua Rothman, and the sensational excellent sound system will be setting the stage ablaze. You won't want to miss out on this unforgettable experience. Tickets are available through portcityreggae.com or hard tickets are available through Momentum Distillery downtown and Jam Rock Bar and Grill on College and University Landing. After party at Ironclad Brewery for ticket holders only. Grab your tickets now before they vanish like a sunbeam on a cloudy day. Keep the spirit of reggae alive and remember, peace, love, and positive vibes always. Welcome, reggae lovers. We have a special treat for you. Joining us are the passionate reggae concert promoters Paul Allen, also known as Romeo, and Kevin Blake, who are dedicated to spreading the sounds of reggae throughout our community. Paul and Kevin share their passion for reggae music and what they're doing to bring more music to the Wilmington community. Paul and Sean started Port City Reggae together, and they're the driving forces behind the reggae scene in our city. They both hold day jobs in addition to promoting local shows with big name bands here in Wilmington, North Carolina and Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. This duo is doing incredible work for the community and they clearly love what they do. They're committed to making live music accessible by keeping costs low, supporting our local bands and musicians and creating an atmosphere where the reggae spirit thrives. In this episode, we'll explore their journey from their initial encounters with reggae music to their unwavering commitment to spreading its positive vibes far and wide. They're here to share their love for the genre and shed light on their efforts to bring more live music experiences to our shores. Welcome to the Hourglass Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Dees. Joining us are some exciting guests today. Uh, we've got Romeo. Hello, how are you? And we've got Kevin Blake. How are you? Nice to see you. Kevin, we need a, we need a, a sexy name for you as well. <laughs> well, well, then come up with one. I, I, uh, oh, it just came to me and then I lost it. You have it. the weekend. Um, I was going to say caballero, but that's in Spanish. That means gentleman. Gotcha. Thank caballero. you. Caballero. I like that. Something like that. Caballero and Romeo. We'll see. Um, but we're going to talk about uh, some of the music scene here in Wilmington today and, you know, kind of how you guys got started in the industry and um, some exciting things that you have coming up. So I'm going to jump right into it. And what I thought was most interesting was your background. So I'm going to start with you. You're in the hot seat. My background, um, what did it interest you find about my background, by the way? Um, <laughs> well, just how many artists that you've been involved with and kind of your history with music in general and yeah. what you continue to do. Okay, I was born and raised in Jamaica pretty much for the most part. So reggae music is not just, you know, something I dive into. Reggae music is part of me. It's in my blood. And as Bob always said, when the music hit, you feel no pain. And we look at music overall as universal language. Uh, we may not speak this somewhere, but I can guarantee, I don't care what language that music in, when that German bass drop, your body gonna move on its own. So 
that's what music does, is unite us, you know, and um, have always been a part of my life. Um, Kevin and most people see me, even from promoting a show, once everything is going good and running fine, you're probably going to find me dancing. I don't hide myself away. I'm right in the midst of the crowd because that's what music is. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, to me, it's life. It's like food. And you give me music and happy faces, and I'm good. Yeah. You know, so how do I get in music? Um, it was part of me. So it wasn't like I getting into music. You know what I mean? Music was just in the DNA from day one. So when I think about it, as a kid growing up in Jamaica, I did my first big show when I was 12 years old. And that kind of blew a lot of people's mind. Because at that time, I lived in rural Jamaica, close to the Negro area. And we have, most people who know reggae, was one of the biggest reggae artists at the time and still is today, Barris Harmon. So for 12 years old, I did Barry Simon. Most people just could not believe that I was able to do that. Even him himself, I remember he came back to my house and he looked at my mom. And then my mom, everybody called her Mother Allen. They said, how old is your son? And she said, he's only 12 and I don't like him doing the music thing. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, okay. And he said, i tell you what happened. He have an eye for this and what he put on tonight was incredible. At that time, Nobody ever really pulled off a show like that in Jamaica, much less a 12-year-old kid. And what was so unique and at the same time difficult and sad in a way about that time, it was the same year that Barry's Hammond dad had passed away. As a matter of fact, the show was announced that he was coming and several other big artists were in the show. And so everybody's rehearsing. Now, rehearsal for most reggae artists in Jamaica is not rehearsal that you see here. They rehearse maybe 10 hours a day compared to what I find. Most people think two hours a day rehearsal is great. And so when his dad passed away during the three months of rehearsal leading up to the show, the dad passed away like the two weeks. There was no rehearsal in Barris. Nobody could talk to him. Nobody could find him. He just went into solitude. And so, of course, we all start to worry a bit because without him, really, nobody's going to even want to buy a ticket to come to the show. So what did I do? Now, at the time, leaving from rural Jamaica to Kingston will take about three hours. And I look at my younger brother, who's my sidekick, you know, me and my partner crime, and I said, listen, I got to go find Barris, but I can't let mom know. And he looked at me like, what do you mean? I said, we're going to leave to go to school that morning, but I'm not coming to school. I'm taking the bus. Just tell them at school that I am sick. You know, so it wasn't like you have cell phone back then, so they could as well call and said, hey, you know, Romeo didn't turn up for class, so what's, what's going on? And so... I took the bus and I got to Kingston. I had his address, took another bus, got to his address, and I stood up there and I beat in the door, knocking the door, knocking the gate, knocking the gate, because it's all been okay, you have your student there. For two and a half hours, I keep knocking that gate. Then finally, I think he got annoyed and wanted to know who the hell is beating down the student gate. 
And he asked somebody to go look, and they, he said, look at me like, youth man, because that's what they call kid in Jamaica. They would say, youth man, what do you want? What, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm the one who's doing the show in Savlamar, and nobody, I keep calling, everybody saying Barry's is not a rehearsal. I know his dad has passed away, and I just want to make sure he's coming to the show. And he said, hold on a second. As you know, as I'm going back and forth in Jamaican dialogue, right? Because that's how they speak. And he said, he came back, and about 15 minutes later, he come and he said, all right, the dread said, we'll see you. This mean that at that time, they used to call Barry's Hammond the dread. He wasn't locked, though. They just called him the dread because he always had a time in his head. And I went in, and he was, he was sitting in the studio because, you know, music is just him. And he said to me, he said, I see in your, your cocky clothes, because we in Jamaica we wear uniforms and stuff like that. The girls are in you know, different color, that's where your school color, the guys that wear just khaki, but we have an epaulette with the colors of your school. And I said, yeah, I said I was supposed to be in school. And he said, but you're not. I'm like, nope. I said, I need to come and find what's going on. He said, you might know where you are. I'm like, nope, nobody know about my brother. <laughs> he like, oh my God. And he said, how did you get here? I said, I took the bus. And he's like, you took the bus from country. I'm like, yeah. And he said, okay, I am gonna be at the show. You have my word, I will be at the show. Now I'm gonna have my men take you back to the bus station, because I would have to take another bus from there to get things in. And I want you to get back to stop, just be safe. But he said, I will be at the show. And that's all I wanted to hear. But by the time I get back to Savlamore, school had long been over. My brothers try to linger as long as he can before he go home. So of course he got home and mom is like, where is I mean, he took it. He took a long time before he finally tell her. Cause you know, I used to, I play a lot of soccer and he said, well, he went to practice and you know, nine o'clock at night come, but I'm not home. So practice, I could practice not going that long. And of course, when I got home, it was like 10.30. And I walked from my mom. We stand at the door waiting on me like this with her arm forward. I'm like, okay. And she said, you want to explain where you're coming from? I said, I actually went to Kingston. And she's like, who did you go with? I said, by myself. And she's like, Oh, God, Jesus Christ, she did not do that. Because it was dangerous at that time for me to let to go where the studio was. And I said, um, I had to. I, I just, you know, everybody want to know. And it's all over saving is in the show. And I had to. And she said, well, you could have let me know. I said, but I know you wouldn't agree. So I know the answer to that. And I just took the chance to do that. And she said, you have always take chances. It's said, you know. She was mad at first, but then she said, you know, of all your brothers, and I have seven brothers, she's like, you think about something and you see where it needs to get done and you go ahead and do it. That's just, and that's how always, always how I am. Um, here to say, the show, you know, we have other big artists. We have festival contests, a huge national contest in Jamaica, because when they come into independence every year, we, they invite all the artists you know, Jimmy Cliff have won it over the years. Buja Bandan have won it over the years. A lot of people have won it. And they just, and those songs, they have to write an original song. 
about Jamaica. It had to be about Jamaica and the Jamaican culture. So we call it a festival song, because of independence and this is whole celebration. And so some of those songs are so amazing when they talk about lyrically, talking about the culture of Jamaica and the music itself, the people of Jamaica, collectively and those contests or judge real harsh. But every big artist out of Jamaica have entered those contests. It doesn't because you're a superstar you get a pass, you don't. Because it's part of who we are. Mm -hmm. Jamaica is land of wood and water, the people. That's what Jamaica is. And I always try to remind most people who never know, if you're looking at Jamaica, we call it um, the code is on. Um, to get, put it in context, I think here in America we have um, what we call it, uh, the Pledge Allegiance to that um, effect. So if you're looking at Jamaican flags, you see the Jamaican flag, but then you also see um, what we call the coat of arms, which is two Arawak Indian, because those are the one the Indians were already in Jamaica before Columbus landed there. And so it was a very simple thing that they put underneath that ribbon. And I asked most people, can you tell me what's on a ribbon of most people, if you're not, most Jamaican, no, but most other culture foreigners, you know, American, European, um, most of them doesn't know. And it's very, very simple. Because at the time when Jamaica decided to get independence, they look around and there were so many different people there from across the world, culturally, you know, you name it, they were there. Uh, during the whole time of slavery in Jamaica had changed hand between the English, the, uh, the between the, the Spaniard, the English, and everybody else that was in that trade trying to capture the new world. And when they look around, and of course, Port Royal was the biggest trading point in the Caribbean. I'm sure everybody here about Captain Blackbait and you know, they did a great movie of about it, about the Caribbean King and all that. But to go back to what I'm saying, it comes down to this. They said, well, how do we serve all the people here? And it was just simple thing. Out of many, we are one. Think about it. When those politicians and all of them get together, how do they represent the people of all the different group, ethnicity, <laughs> culture that were thriving and making Jamaica <clears throat> their homeland? Some come there voluntarily, some did not. But they make it this beautiful island, their homeland. They said, how do we reflect and serve the people of Jamaica? And the simple honor the court of voice said, out of many, we are one. And the only word they left over it was people because they didn't want to make it so long. But the whole context of the quote is, out of many, we are one people. You go to Jamaica today, and that's what Jamaica is. That's beautiful. And I think we could, I would love to see us apply that in the U.S. <laughs> you know, like, I think that's part of our problem here. And I won't yeah. go down the rabbit hole. But I think if we, as people, realized that we are one, and we could accomplish so much more 100%. as one. 100%. So thank you for sharing that. Yes.
Thank you. You're welcome. Because, you know, and I live by that. Kevin can attest to that. I live by that. Um, Sometimes people talk to me and say, why are you not Rastafari dreadlocks? And I said, I am actually Rastafari because I live the Rastafari lifestyle. I am not locks because I promised my mom that I wouldn't locks because as a teenager, I was because my older brothers, they in 12th tribe and all those. And she said, I don't want you to. I don't. You're going to be going so many different places. You're going to be traveling to your place, and I don't want people to use that against you. Mm-hmm. And I promised her that I wouldn't. And even today, you know, knock on wood, my daughter keeps saying, Dad, you should lax. And I said, Honey, I promised my mom. I mean, God rest her soul, because she, she's now deceased. But, you know, many times I thought that was going to be because it's the way I live when anyone who really know me. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people will say they're resting this and that, but they're really not. You know, so it's part of the lifestyle, the music itself, you know, of who I am. And so getting involved, I wouldn't say I, I'm getting involved, because I've always just been part of me and what I do as a music. Yeah, and I think that speaks, what you just said speaks to your integrity. You know, who you are. Yes. You're a man of your word. Very much so. Yeah. yeah, very much so. Very admirable. Thank you. And so, you know, when I met Kevin, and I mean, well, I didn't meet him before I started doing it. I've been, you know, I came to Wilmington, we moved from Boston, in my family, and um, came to Wilmington. But that time I was still, you know, I live in New York. I, Massachusetts, a job took me there, and job took me to work. And well, we, we vacationed here a while back. And then I said, yeah, let's get a little cold. I'm tired of cold. We'll move here. You know, my wife is from Massachusetts, so, <laughs> you know, but she wanted to get away from it. I'm like, okay, cool. So we got here, and I started looking around, and I'm like, wow. I keep hearing there used to be a big reggae scene here. But when I got here, I think in 2006 or something like that, there was really no scene you know, and I'm like, okay. I heard Yellow Man came through. I hear so many people pass through Black Abuhu, and I started laughing. I, when I talk to people, they say, oh man, we know, we know reggae, we know this. I said, you do. And I, if I said to them, say, okay, what reggae act won the first Grammy, reg, gr- reggae Grammy? And can anyone guess what most people uh, say? Um, Bob Marley. Right. But Bob wasn't the first reggae act who won the Grammy. Do you know who that was? I, I'm going to guess, but what? I don't know, and I'm going to say Peter Tosh. No. None of those guys. It's a group named Black Uru. Black Guru? Black Uru. Black Uru. They won the first reggae Grammy. Even that, that was a tremendous group until they break up. All the members are still alive, but you know that they, they break up for whatever reason, like what group breakup, I don't know, if group breakup, you know what I mean? The Whalers, including Peter Touch, Bob and everything, they break up too, right? So, but yeah, but it was, um, it was um, Black Uru, where a lot, a lot of people never heard of Black Uru unless you were listening to reggae and really loved this type of new vibration and where did this sound come from, you know? Um, it is so entwined that you're here and you, you, you yeah, I mean, you're just gonna move. You, you may find your foot, your feet, your hand just moving involuntarily. 
But that's reggae music. Yeah. That's reggae music. It feels so good. Well, I'm going to bring Kevin into this conversation because he's sitting quiet over here. That's fine. Yeah. So um, when did you and Kevin start working together? Well, I don't think it's when we started working together. We first met um, back when I came back to the area from my travels out west in Florida and got into the scene because I also heard there was a scene here in the years that I was gone, like the old Mad Monk, all the bands that would come through and so forth. And then as I became friends with people in the area and then starting to get to know and hear of some of the local bands around here that were playing, and going to see them a lot, I became friends with them and their friends and then discovered that there really is like a family here of everyone that loves the reggae music, you know, all subgenres of it, you know, from your Cali roots to your roots reggae, which is what I'm partial to the old stuff like Paul is. And I first met Paul, I think the what I remember is for one of the first times you brought him to Lazy Pirate at Carolina Beach. Uh, this was back in 12 or 13. I think something like that, about 10, 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's when I first met Amani and Ken and all of those guys that play in different bands, Signal Fire, Give Thanks, so forth and so on. And then uh, Edge had passed through again one time uh, the next year. And I said, well, who, you know, I was interested in helping the bands get venues, gigs, because I want to have a place to go hear live reggae music. Mm -hmm. I do it as a hobby. I don't charge, I'm not a promoter, any of that stuff. I just want to help get it to the people and also have a place for me and my people to enjoy it. You go to the Lazy Pirate. I've seen you there dancing around with yeah. some of the shows, you know. Yeah. When Good Danny stuff. passed away, I helped keep it going for a year after that. And uh, Whit Whitley did as well. And then Paul started reaching out to me, you know, inviting me to some of his private parties with Edge and Give I Thanks and so yeah. forth. And then we needed the Port City Reggae Fest. Um, you know, being involved in that because, as he said, what he saw in me, I see the same thing in him is that he has the heart and passion about it. And what he's doing, he's trying to bring it to the people and bring everyone together. And that's where I stand with the music is I hear the message in it as well. And then I think about those messages and try to live that and teach others as well. And even my children that have grown up with it since they were babies because I was turned on to it from uh, one of my best friend's older brothers. When I was 10 years old, the very first time I was exposed to it was Babylon by Bus when it was released. Yeah. And then from there, then we started exploring into Steel Pulse and Wailing Souls, you know, and Gladiators or, you know, the old Roots artists were my favorites. And... Then we just became friends and, you know, interacting in the community and he'll put a show together and then he knows I have connections with the local and regional bands because I travel with my work and I know people outside of Wilmington and North Carolina. And so that's what we're trying to do is bring these shows in. He'll get the headliner and we'll work together and get all the supporting acts and things like that and expose it to everyone. That's yeah. what we're trying to do, basically. Well, this might be a good time to talk about the event coming up um, because this episode is going to be out in time that people can come to the show. Absolutely. Um, it's going to be in Wilmington at Marina Grill, uh, June yes, 20th, indeed. right? Friday? June 30th. 30th. Oh, June 30th. 30th. Sorry, Friday. today. Um, I'm Next <laughs> Friday from today. <laughs> yeah, yeah but those listening and <laughs> watching, you know, I was yeah. trying to give them a date, but yeah. uh, clearly uh, I, need, I need a calendar in front of me. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, it's exciting because you've got some some big name acts, but you've also got some really talented local bands as well. Mm. So, um, do you want to tell me what the the thought was behind putting this together to begin with? Because you know this is sort of a new newish venue, right? Well, I'm just going to be short because Paul was the visionary on this one. Yeah. How I got involved when he came to me about it because we wanted to bring it together in a smaller venue for more of the community, keep the cost down, Mm -hmm. support local businesses, and support these local bands as well. Trying to keep the corporate entities out of it and have everything locally promoted and organized. Yeah. Well, what I appreciate is that it's affordable, right? You're trying to keep the ticket prices affordable, especially for families, because I love to bring my kids, right, and expose them to the music. But some of the ticket prices these days in this town um, don't make it viable for a family to actually enjoy. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things is, you know, um, yeah, I would dive into this still, but but my focus I've always been, like I said, to get the people to the music. So even when I did the Beach House Reggae Fest, um, you know, several years ago, uh, when I approached them, I said, I want to do an event. They're like, well, you're going to do the event. We only have a little space in the back. I started to laugh. And I said, well, what I'm seeing, you guys are not seeing it. And, you know, these were the owners. And they're like, what are you seeing? I said, because I'm going to close off this big whole parking lot. And they're like, uh, we were inside, and they said, well, you have to come outside and show us because we can't get a picture of what you're going to do and where you're going to put this stage. But I already have a picture of that because I'm used to that. I have a vision to just look in a spot and know if it work or not. And I saw I had to draw everything out. I took a stick, and I started drawing a line in the ground where the stage goes, the whole property. I draw out everything, stage everything, and they're like, oh. They're like, okay, go ahead and do it. The first year I did at the we did that for three years, but the last year when I did Beach House, we had over 1,500 people there. Um, that was 2013, somewhere around that. The headline band at that time was Margaret Heritage. Now, Margaret Heritage is huge. They have one of the best reggae shows. So if anyone out there ever get a chance to go see Margaret Heritage, it would be a show worth but what was so significant that here, they had released an album. That's why I went after them. And I have a good connection with one of the members. And he actually lived in Tampa. So I took up my phone and I called him. I said, listen, I want you guys to come headline a show for me. And he's like, uh, I said, you guys going to be in tour? Said, yeah. I said, well, I need you. I said, it's going to be outdoor place. I said, it's not even a venue. It's just an outdoor spot. I'm just going to turn to the venue. And I said, all right, if you say you can do it, we'll come. But I also told them on the phone, I said, the album you guys drop, I love it. And you guys are going to win the Grammy. And he's like, you think so? And I said, yeah, you guys are going to win the Grammy for that album. Well, guess what? They did win the Grammy for that album. So Wilmington were able to see them just before they win the Grammy and was able to say, hey, we got a Grammy artist that we see here. But what was significant about that show wasn't such that they did such a great show because after that they went they were in Europe because the reggae festival in Europe is are huge. They make the festival in here look like a joke. You don't about anything from fifty to eighty thousand people go to this festival from Germany, through England, Holland, you name it. But what was so significant about that show, the last show, Beach House Festival I did, was I met a lady 
what the time was going through chemo. I actually have video of it somewhere in my archive. And she had no hair. And she came up to me and she said, somebody came to me and said, there's a lady here, her name is Buffy. I think she was from Carolina Beach. And she said she would love to meet Morgan Heritage. Um, the person with the and said, we don't know how long she have with us, but she said she has to see Morgan Heritage because she loves them. I went up to Gramps Morgan, who's one of the lead members of Morgan Heritage, and I said, listen, his mom had passed away from cancer also, so he knew exactly what I was talking about. I said, I have a lady here. She's going through chemo, and she doesn't, from what I understand, doesn't have much amongst us. And he said, I got you. I said, all right. And that was before the show even started. But that stayed with him. And halfway through the performance, he said, Buffy, where are you? And she was right up front, and I had to lead her up on stage. And Gramps took Buffy on stage. It was one of the most powerful. Believe me, I've been to a mini reggae concert. But it was one of the most powerful. Even right now I'm talking about it. It's like my head and my skin just crawling. One of the most powerful moments I've ever seen at a show. He took her on stage. And he held her. And he said, Buffy, dance with me, Buffy. And he held her and he started dancing. And he, was, he said, dance with me, Buffy. Dance with me. And you could just see this big smile on her face. And when I look in front of the stage and all the female, there was not a dry eye at that concert at that time. I mean, everyone had tears. And that's when I said, man, the power of reggae music is incredible. And I was, I've always been glad that I am part of the reggae music. And all the years I do this, that is one of the most powerful moments. And it always stays with me. I never forget it. I do have it on video because someone had captured it on cell phone video and sent the footage to me. And I have it. You know, and I would hold on to that. But yeah, I never remember. And when, you know, and if most people doesn't know who Gramps Morgan is, he had this huge, soulful, spiritual voice. He's not the lead singer of band, but he, you know, he's basically the co-leader, but he had that voice, this deep gospel voice. And when he belted out, man, and said, dance, Buffy, dance, dance, Buffy, dance, oh my God, it's incredible. Incredible moment like that, let me just love reggae music. <laughs> so, you know, doing this, it's, I, I look at it and said, well, how can we help the local bands get it out there because I always tell Kevin I tell everyone from Signal Fire Sean a pretty good friend and I said do you know that growing up in Jamaica we never have no division in the bands or group where we call local or regional or national I said maybe Jamaica is not big enough for us to divide it like that you know but I'm like because everybody got to start somewhere and if you have the talent you're going to get the respect and I can tell you this none of our superstars ever deflect a young coming up artist or never pay them the time or never even stand and watch their show. 
This is really good timing for you to bring this up because this weekend is Reggae Rise Up mm -hmm. in Maryland. Mm -hmm. And I got to be, I got to experience Reggae Rise Up twice. And what you're speaking of, I got to see, unlike a lot of the other music industries mm -hmm. or genres, in reggae, all of the artists like uplift each other. Yes. It's like a one love yes. respect. Like I'm no better than you and they join them on stage, um, you know, invite them to sing a song or so, vice versa. And that's really what drew me in to Reggae Rise Up and why it's so special to me. <clears throat> and again, I'm gonna give a shout out to all my Reggae Rise Up family this weekend. I wish I was there with you all. Um, but that love yes. that they have for each other is so pure and beautiful. Oh, absolutely. And how was, you know, I, I asked a simple question. How was reggae come about? How was it created? How did a small island like Jamaica come up with such a powerful sound? And it goes back to what you just said. It was the love. Because you go back to Master Griffith, Peter Touch. No, Master Griffith, Judy Moore, those people, you know, Rita Marley. They're the eye trees, but they all had their own solo career. I mean big solo career. So there wasn't just a set of backup singers. But they were all growing up in the ghetto. For them, they wasn't making any money off the music. It was just pure love of what they were doing. And so they will all be in the one studio. They know they all know each other. And so the culture of just hanging out, not because you make it, then all of a sudden you're bigger than us. No, it, it never it was never that and still isn't. It's about just a pure love, and we're going to help you get to that level, too. Mm -hmm. You know, and so, you know, to hear Marcia Griffith talk about it, and I remember seeing an interview with her, and they asked her, because for most people that doesn't know, Marcia Griffith is the creator and original writer of one of the biggest songs that Americans love, Electric Slide. And when people look at me, I say, yeah, that was done by members of the I-Tree by my, and they're like, I say, yeah, that's a Jamaican song. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah. And they asked her, how did they come up with that song? I mean, you know, the rhythm and everything. And she said, well, they were just out in the big yard of music and, you know, everybody, you know, smoking this cliff, drinking some Guinness and whatever. And um, Bunny Whalers was the person who actually come up with all the, the rhythm of the song, the melody. And because he was there with a drum and he was just just playing around because that's what they do they have nothing to do they have no job they could, you know, can't get no work or so music's all they had and he was just playing around and she's like oh I like that and she's like yeah and he's like I got some lyrics in my head and he's like you like and she came up with two lines and he said alright I will have the rhythm for you tomorrow he came back the next day and had the whole thing done so these guys in themselves were such genius when it comes to putting rhythm together, they didn't need any computers. And a lot of them at the time couldn't read music either. What they had was their ear. They could listen to anything and play it. Just one, one shot. So they were meticulous when it comes to creating rhythms and melody because they learn by listening, they learn by feel. And if you're not feeling that groove, you can't project that energy 
and to anyone in front of you, the audience or anything like that. But he took one night to come up with a song that take the world by storm, electric slide. One night, just like that. And that's how these guys put a lot of songs together. It was not drawn out, it was never a drawn out period for them. It was just a vibes they had. And they just stayed with it. If it's two hours, three or four or five hours, they stayed and just finished it. Then they will tweak it. But that's how most of the big hits in Jamaica come out. You know, and the history, the, uh, the honest truth is, um, I know a lot about the history in Jamaica because, like I said, I've been part of me. I was fortunate as a kid to know Peter, Bonnet, all of them when they were going on tour, they would be gone, you know, the whole whalers would be gone six, seven, eight months at a time out of the year. And so, you know, they would leave their key by my parents' some house and say, hey, we just go watch the house while they're going, make sure it's okay, nobody breaking into it. And then, they, you know, they will come back and you get all kind of stories and they tell you all the things and tours and, um, you know, so it could go into a lot of the music, but the aspect of me doing what I do here in Wilmington, I've came in and I said, God, there is no region in Jamaica. Why do we have to do that? And so when I started telling people, I said, I'll bring the biggest reggae artists around here and he will never separate himself from any one of you. Most of them find it strange until I start to do it. He will, they will never go sit in a tour bus and lock themselves away. They just sit and talk to everybody. Matter of fact, they will walk around the place with the audience. Oh. If you don't know them, you don't know them, but they're not hiding. They, they sit there with you. And I give you a pretty good joke. I, I know you said you're from up my studio. So when I live in my city, I was doing a pretty big show in Connecticut because the city of Connecticut would let me do a huge event in the square, we just block it off. And I got a call, and I heard, I picked up the phone, and you know, being, and I actually was having a show that night before we head down to Connecticut. And I heard somebody said, hello, is this Romeo? I'm like, okay, this is a Cockney accent. This is an English accent. I'm like, yeah, but who is this? And she said, well, my name is Kate. And I'm a foreign student at Harvard, but I heard there's a big reggae show, and we love reggae show back in London. And I'd love to go there, but all tickets are sold out. And I'm at Bill's Bar, which do a lot of the reggae bar in Boston. And they said, that's the only person who probably could get her ticket. I'm like, well, I'm in Worcester, and we got a show tonight. So if you can make it out here, I certainly will get you to the show. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm sure I'm going to. I'll be out there. And I'm like, okay. Well, I'll tell you what, she was there that night. And when she walked in, I, you know, I had no expectation. I don't know what I'm looking at, what I'm saying. I don't know what it is. And then I said, okay, but before she walked in, we hung up the phone. Now, it's so funny. I was on stage doing my show because I, I emcee sometime if I wanted to. And I'm looking and I got a text. And um, you know what this text said? I have no idea. <laughs> I know. My no. mind is going, like, in all these directions. She said, uh, and so I'm doing the mic check, right? She's got to do it in the British accent, though. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm doing the mic check, and I'm looking, I'm reading the text. I'm like, no shit. And everybody's like, what? I said, well, I just got a text. And they said, oh, by the way, did I tell you that I was white? <laughs> 
So apparently me talking to her, she forgot to tell me, or she thinks she had to tell me she was white. You know, and um, but I figured that out from her accent. You know what I mean? Because if you know anything about the British accent, the Cockney accent, a black person kind of speak, or most of the race kids, London, England, as a matter of fact, have so many different races because the migration a lot before it was even coming a lot to America. Most people from the Caribbean and Indian Africa, England, the way they went when they were migrating, it wasn't America. So that accent is speaking slightly different between a British who is white and a British who is of another ethnic race. But I pick hers up because, you know, they have travelers. So when, you know, it catch me by a little bit surprised when I'm on the stage and I said, and I look at it and I said, so I just came out with it, not realizing I'm still in front of the mic. No shit. You're white. <laughs> and everybody was like, all the odds, I'm like, what's going on? So I just, I'm like, holy shit. So I started laughing. I'm like, it's right here. And they're like, okay. And I, everybody was like, okay. But honestly, that night when she show up in the show, because I leave the telephone door, she let her in, should she get in there? Because she got to get tickets to go in. This girl walked through and everybody like, oh my God, she was a beautiful young lady. But then she started to dance and everybody like, whoa, where did you hell you learn reggae like that? Like you can dance like any Jamaican dance in reggae. And she said, well, I grew up in London. There's all these Jamaican in London and we go to all these parties, underground parties to everything. The dance hall, everything they do. So yeah, she just fit right in just like that. And so it led me to go back and say to most people culturally, and I've said this all the time, the world is a beautiful place. And we need to start to recognize that. Reggae music have taught us that. The people of the world is a beautiful place. The people of the world are beautiful. The music have no boundaries. So why do we put boundaries on ourselves as human beings? Why do we? Because there she is a typical example. She walked in. No if about it. I mean, she wasn't the only white per person there. There's a lot there, but there's also a lot of different ethnic, black, American, Jamaican. They were all were there. Mm -hmm. But she had no qualms about coming in and really show that, guess what? I'll take this lead because I can dance this music. And man, did she die? You know what? People were clapping, people were laughing, and saying, "I'm like, go, Kate, go, Kate." You know, but it didn't end there because she was a, a, a you know, like I said, a foreign student. Then she decided to go to Jamaica because she wanted to go to Jamaica the following year, as a as a transfer to the University of the West Indies. And then I got a call, and she was, hmm. she like, "Well, I'm at the university." I was like, "Wow, I didn't know you're in Jamaica." She said, "Yeah, but some of the biggest act they did, they there was." Shaggy, there was Sean Paul, there was Baby Sham, there was Barris Harmon, and she wanted to know if she could go. And I said, yeah, I'll make a call for you, I got it. She got backstage, you know what, she was backstage with all these guys hanging out. She called me on the phone, and she said, I am here talking to these guys, they know you. And she said, but what I find so cool, he's like, everybody's just so simple. Everybody's just, normal. 
So I'm on the phone. I'm like, okay, I told you that before. She said, but I've never been in the back, in, in the midst of all these. I mean, she know who they are because they're pretty big. They are all, they're some of the biggest name in reggae. But she was in the midst of them at that time. That's when she really, really realized what I've been telling her over the years is how none of these guys or gal act like they're bigger or better than anyone. Yeah, so I have a quick story. When I was at Reggae Rise yeah. Up and I, I met Lila Aike. Okay, oh my, she's awesome. Is it Aike or Ike? Aike. Aike. Yeah. And at first I didn't know who she was because I was uh, in Protégé's green room. Room, okay, okay. And so everybody was going around. Uh, yeah, going with some of the big guns, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. And so she said, pretty good. What's your name? Mm. And I, you know, said Christina. And she's like, oh, nice to meet you. I am Lila. Mm. And I just kind of went on and on. And I was like, wait a minute. You're Lila Ike. <laughs> yeah, you're Lila Ike, yeah. Um, and I was just like, oh, my God, I have to fan out just for one minute. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I think you're amazing. That's all I want to say. And uh, I went back to being normal. But <laughs> You went back to being normal. Yeah, yeah, I was just like, okay, that's it. Are you saying that? And she looked at you with a smile and said, yeah. She did. And I asked if I could interview her. And she said, but of course. Yeah. So, yeah. I found them all to be very approachable as well and engaging, yeah. you know. Like when I did the Jamrock Reggae Cruise, you know, they're all out there meeting with the guests and, you know, everything, having dinner and sitting around and talking, reasoning, everything. You know, they're very interactive yeah, and, and like welcoming. And me, like as I went by myself to mm -hmm. Reggae Rise Up, uh, also to Baltimore and to Vegas, mm -hmm. and being a female solo by yourself at a three-day reggae festival, I never felt so safe in my entire life. Trust me. By myself, you yeah. know. You earn those guys' respect. And believe me, you are fine. It's I mean, when it comes to the reggae arts in Jamaica, you know, I'm not saying you may not have incident because I'll be stupid and everything. Yeah. You know. But for the most part, I can say, because I've been there, I've been with these guys 99% of the time. The respect you get from them when you give them that respect, because the, the respect in Jamaica is big. Most people ever go to Jamaica, and, and it, it, we have fun over that all the time. Even with Kevin, you know, I may find a, a white guy come up to me and he said, man, one thing I learned in Jamaica is respect. You know what I mean? Don't disrespect me. Because if you disrespect, Jack, anything else. And it's not, it shouldn't have to be just in Jamaica. Respect for your fellow human being is what it is. You know, and, um, and that's all it comes down to. You treat me like how you want to be treated. And that's it. They ask for nothing else. Nothing mm -hmm. more. They treated me like family. Yes. Um, do you know Spraga Benz? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, I know Spraga Benz. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, yeah. He oh, was, yeah. Uh, you know, we ended up, we were talking as well, and I finally realized who he was when we were talking because mm -hmm. he was super cool. And then I was just like, oh, my gosh, you were uh, with Stephen Marley well, they when they came, came to, to Wilmington. Wilmington. Yes. And I was front row, like, yeah. at the rail, and I have a video of you. And he's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, show me. Up, yeah. So I show him the video, and he's like, oh, you have to send that to me. Yeah. And so then he's like, would you come on stage and, and film for me when I go up there? Mm. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. Uh, so hopefully he'll be coming back to Wilmington when Stephen comes. 
He might. I'm not so sure. Um, well, I know he's not under tour, but that had never stopped him before. He drove up because um, last year when Stephen was here, he was here because I spoke to him actually. And um, cause most of the time when these when these guys come here, I know they will always call me or something like that, and I would hang out. So yeah, he was he drove up because I think he was in Baltimore the time he drove up. So he probably would be here. And he's got some family really close. Close to here, you. yes, exactly. Yeah. So you know that's reggae music, and that's what I want people to start to look in the band them here and respect the level, because I think right now, Signal Fire can hold their own, if not even do a better show than a lot of the. American reggae band that we have right now. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm not, because I've seen shows. I know what shows is about. I mean, I know what performers should be. I've been in my life, helped develop performers, performers to entertain a crowd. And I've watched Sean grown and the whole band over the years. Because when I first met them and they said they want to play reggae, because of course the drummer can, his dad is Jamaican. And when he found out I was Jamaican, he's like, oh, man, you got to come check us out with practice. And when I went there, and I'm I stood there and I'm looking at them, I'm like, okay, you guys want to play reggae? And they're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, okay. I said, well, very fundamental. Do any of you guys know how to do one drop? And they all look at me like, what is that? I'm like, do any of you know how to do one drop? They're like, well, no. I said, well, you can't play reggae if you don't know what one drop is. At that time, they have a guitarist by the name of Rob, and he has an idea what it is, right? But he didn't know that's what the name is. I said, okay, so let me tell you, show you what one drop is. I said, Ken, drummer, look at me, he said, bam, 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 bam. And Rob said, oh, yeah, I have an idea. And he get on the guitar, and he's like, yeah. I said, you got it. You got to learn to do that. I said, before you do anything when it comes to reggae, learn to do one drop, because that's part of the reggae. It's one of the basic part of reggae. And I've watched them grow. And I remember, you know, Sean and I talk about reggae all the time because Sean, what I like about Sean and respect him as a musician is that he is playing reggae. But Sean just doesn't want to just play a reggae as to what, you know, everybody else say, okay, we're looking at the California reggae, the surf of reggae. Sean actually dive into deep reggae. I mean, a funny thing about Sean had a book, and I, and I know of one of the best reggae producers. I don't, I don't even own that book. So I actually borrowed a book from him. He's like, you want to borrow this from me? I'm like, yeah, you know what I mean? And I'm like, look at you. So when I talk to Sean about reggae, he have gotten deep into the reggae, and that's why Signal Fire Sound is the way it is. You know, uh, because one of the first things you realize, I may say reggae because we grew up in it, but the Jamaican culture... Uh, we're music lovers, so we're not about just reggae. The first time I told people that country was big in Jamaica, they look at me they're like, are you kidding me? I'm like, oh yeah. The difference is though, they remake, they remake the country song into reggae because of the lyrics. People are showing a twain and all those, uh, yeah, big songs. A lot of them are made. So country spread band, people are like, country? I'm like, yeah, I said, you don't understand Jamaican music. We are a music-loving set of people. I said, that's how reggae was born. We may not have food to eat or anything to drink, but 
Like Bob Marley said, the belly full, but me hungry. The rain I fall, but the dirty tough. The food I cook, but the partner enough. I mean, if you understand those lyrics, you understand. It means that there's never enough to eat, but that's not going to stop us playing this rhythm, partying and have fun. We find joy. We're going to make it happen. And that's what they did. I mean, so anywhere you go in Jamaica, any across the globe in Jamaica, the music is playing. The music is playing. Yeah. Could be in the ghetto, could be in the top of the hill. The music is playing. And and that's what you guys are both trying to do here in Wilmington is yes. bring more joy. Bring more joy to the music. Yeah. You know, bring more joy to the music. Make people understand that. Do not look on the band right now and figure, oh well, I'll go. They're playing. I don't need that to listen to them as long as the beer I'm drinking is 75 cents. I get drunk as much as I want. Never listen to the guys while they're there pushing because um, a lot of the band in that, and, and it go back to what I was saying with Signal Fire, is because the California, the, the band them up there, and the people were, they were able to come together and put a really solid unit together and they market that tremendously those couple of years through the college and everything. So, yeah, that gave birth to the California type of reggae, but most people now only look on those bands. I've seen, I've seen quite a few of those bands. The honest truth is they're not great performers. And, and that's why I said Signify can hold their own amongst any one of them. 100%. But the fact is because we have this thing in our head about local, regional, signal five, I'm like, oh, it's the local boys playing. It's no big thing. I'm like, come on. Yeah. So signal They have fire, to move somewhere. They're <laughs> opening the show that you're putting on next yes. week. Yes. With these big name bands. Absolutely. Um, so let's tell everybody who's going to be there uh, so they can get their tickets. I think. They're, they're selling pretty quickly. Uh, pretty quickly. We, we're we're pretty almost close. out. Yes, we're almost out. So, of course, we have of course we have our very own signal fire. And I've told most people I never use the term local or regional band. Right. I never do. Wilmington, uh, Wilmington's own? I said, yeah, they got to live somewhere, people. You know? They have to live somewhere. Home Fortunately for us. Fortunate enough, they live here in Wilmington, so we got to give them that love. Right? And they have a big following in And Wilmington. they have a big following in Wilmington. Yes. And, of course, we have Makua Rotman, who was formerly a number one skier, by the way, right, Kevin? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, at 17, I think he was the number one skier, probably jumped the biggest, um, ski the biggest wave in Hawaii at a 17-year-old, number one ski champion. And he pretty much started his music career, too. Um, so we actually ourselves, he's, you know, not that he's not a good singer in a band, but he's fortunate probably choose connection because in the music connection make a lot of difference now to be support act for Steel Pulse and a couple of people through this tour when Signal Fire could easily be the support act for any one of these bands you know without a doubt um, yeah. so I want people out there especially in Wilmington and North Carolina stop looking at these guys as local band just said hey we're fortunate they live where we live but they're a big band. Give them their props. And we have Kali Butts. Yeah, we're going to have Kali Bud there too. You know what I mean? And uh, of course, Kali Bud, most people know Kali Bud because he came up through the California, Kali Roots, singing music. But Kali Bud is also from the Caribbean. Mm 
born and raised in Bermuda, do a lot of his recording in Jamaica, you know, and um, and so as we listen to these artists, as we hear their music, learn a little something about them too, because they're human beings, just like us, yeah. you know, they have ups and downs and humanize them a little bit, because they're human. And of course, we got Steel Pulse, Grammy winning award, Steel Pulse. British-born reggae band of Jamaican parentage, of course, like I said before, most of the migration from people from the Caribbean was to Europe, England especially, Birmingham and London. So when those guys watched Peter Touch and Bernier, um, people like Dennis Bernoyer, they know they one way they're going to go. They're going to become a reggae band. And um, listen to David Hines sometime, who is um, the lead singer, I will tell you, when they started to play and everything, they would watch those guys every second they get just to learn that type of craft and how they can sound to be real, what we call authentic roots reggae. Because it go back to what you were saying, Christina, you was at Reggae Rise up in Baltimore, you met Liga Ike, right? So funny, Signal Fire was there too. Yeah. And I got a call from Ken the German, and he said, yo, Romy, I'm like, what? He said, man, the same thing you was telling me. I said, I watched the California band, and I just saw Lika, you know, Lisa Ike just came out for state. And I said, what have I been telling you? I, he said, there's a difference in the sound. I don't know if you recognize that. You put a Jamaican reggae artist up there, anybody who do the real rich reggae, and you listen to one of the California band and band, live sound, and they're coming out of the same speaker, and all of a sudden, the real underlying hardcore reggae have a bigger sound. If yeah. you never experience, anytime you go back to one of those stage show, and you have that genre, of, you know, the mixed genre, which is the way it should be, listen to the sound. It's a huge difference in sound. Big difference. He was at the venue when he called me, he said, oh my God. He said, man, you are so right. This sound is just so huge that I can't believe it's the same speaker, same everything. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, like Protégé, Jesse Royal, Natalie right. Rise. Oh, yeah. Is Atmosphere, are they um, Cali Roots or are they more? They're kind of Cali Roots, but they have a, a, a mixed genre of some Jamaican in them, yeah. yeah. But the sound is a lot bigger. And then... Uh, um, Oh, I want to say some, the tribal seeds. Tribal seeds. The tribal seeds is Kylie, yeah. You but know, their, um, their singer, their lead singer is, I think he's Jamaican. Yeah, yeah. Hector and I, Roots. Hector, Hector Roots, yeah. But Stevie's back now. So you have your background singer, so yeah. He's back? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's coming back. Yeah. He's coming back, yeah. I think he did post something recently. Yeah, yeah I got to interview him at Reggae Rise Up too, okay. and so humble. They're yeah. just also it's humble. Humble, humble. And beautiful. Um, protege, he's... Very quiet. Oh my God. Yeah. If I tell you how Project is start, you know, the funny thing about it, Project came from St. Elizabeth, which is the next parish, like you said, the next state over from where I was born. And I got a call. I got two emails and a call from a female, his girlfriend at the time. And she's white and everything. And she said, Listen, man, I got this guy here. And I think he's going to be big. Nobody knew who he was, huh? She saw that to me because she was living in Jamaica at the time. And she said, you know, I'm investing in this guy. And I just want to get him out there. 
here's some song. I send it to a couple of DJs. And I just leave it like that. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I hear, Progeny. Just like that. So Tell you it. must know Dutty. Yes. Yeah. I know a lot of them, man. Uh, like I said. And I don't know why you and, that, and that's why when I told you, if you're amongst these guys and you're mentioning name Paul, they're going to like, who? I don't know. Romeo. 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 And they're like, oh, yeah. I'll just wait. Yeah. <laughs> but when you talk about a humble, and if you talk to most of them, I remember Peter Touch said it best. Somebody asked me, I said, why you guys never have bodyguard? And, you know, people are like, who's, who's going to guard the bodyguard? But besides that, that's, you know, that's still part of the song. But what he did was, um, he said, listen, people look at us as superstar. Some people even look at us as role model. Peter was such a rebel. He said, I'm not a role model. I'm no role model, but here's what I can tell you. I got a gift that Selassie gave I and I. And that's music and singing. Now, without the people, that gift wouldn't come to fruition at all because there would be nobody listening. So he said, so why should I separate myself from the people? Because without them, there's no Peter Touch. Without them, there's no Bob Marley. Without them who come and listen to the, your music, buy the ticket to your show, so why should we separate ourselves from them? and act like they're just cackling in front of us. And that's why no Jamaican artist ever walk in a venue. Now, I'm also there's some venue who, because of you know insurance and all that, restrict that movement. But if that is not restricted because of policy, and, and even then, some of it doesn't stop these guys from doing it. Because they just figure to them that's who they are, and it's a vital part of who they are as musicians, that they're not supposed to just shun people and go sit in the backstage. Yeah, you know I mean, and I'll give you a good typical example. When Whalers is here, when Whalers come through here, the management, they will find me out, you know, and they were like, okay, here is a bunch of after show backstage pass. Just walk through and give it to people. Because I don't just look at you because you may be a pretty girl and give you a backstage pass, you know. I will. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Kevin. Kevin's got my back. (laughs) Yeah. I don't do that. And, and, um, you know, they they look at me and they're like, what I do, like I told you, I'm part of the crowd. I've been the crowd dancing all through the show. As much as I can sit up backstage and chill out and do what I want to do in the green room, I'm really in there. I'm out in the crowd walking around talking to people, and I'm just looking at who is vibing to the music. And I walk up to people. I remember one girl, her name is Chrissy. She's actually from Myrtle Beach. She's coming long dreadlocks. And I remember we were at the Whaley show last year because I did that breakfast for them at Marina Grill. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just walk up and I just hear two backstage players. At first, she kind of looked back at me, but she's like, oh, thank you. And I keep moving. And she saw me backstage of the show and she said, by the way, I want to say thank you. I said, for what? And she said, just so weird that somebody just. Walk up and give. I said, no, it's not weird because you were feeling the music. I am just out there randomly doing this. So mm-hmm. it's not about, you know, picking out that one and, oh, that looks, that girl looks fine. Or, Here's a back. No, no, because to, those guys, they, they don't really care. Yeah. People think they do, but they don't. Yeah. What they care about is who is feeling the music and the vibes to keep this music alive. Those are who they'd rather have a cut because they know when they're having a conversation, it's going to be a meaningful conversation about the music. 
you know, and so I just be randomly speak of these people, you know. I love it. Well, for the sake of time today and getting this mm -hmm. episode out, um, I'm going to have to wrap and my battery's running low over here, mm -hmm. full disclosure. Um, let's go ahead and, and really push the show coming up. June 30th. June 30th. It's a Friday night. Right. Marina Grill, Wilmington. Uh, how Stick. do we get tickets? You can go to portcityreggae.com and you can get tickets. Um, we have hard tickets also at um, Monumentum uh, Distributor and at Jamrock Restaurant. Um, right. We also, you might be able to get tickets to the gate, but if it's sold up before that, you won't have a chance. So I wouldn't take that chance. Probably steel poles. Yeah. Signal fire. fire. Yeah, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> you know looking I mean? at the numbers, it's yeah. slim to none. Right. So yeah. Yeah, that's the ones right. that are online, you definitely need to grab them up first because there are limited hard tickets. Okay. Yeah. So, and then gates are at five. Kay. Yes. And then show at six. Show at six. We'll have a food truck, Jamrock, Jamaican restaurant from Wilmington will be there. Mm -hmm. We'll have a few rude boys? A few. No rude boys? Who? No rude boy? No, no, no. No, I actually talked to Rude Boy, but he couldn't make it. He's going to be in New York that weekend. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. I, I do love the food. So. Yeah, so yeah, he definitely would have been part of it. So, so yeah, June 30th, um, you know, all road lead to Marina Grill right there in the pair. There's going to be real, real sweet sounds of reggae music. Um, the guys that come in for an awesome show, the bass line will be hitting. We got some of the biggest engineers, and that's going to be really driving this music. In between set, we have excellent sound system. These are big-time DJs that are coming from Jamaica. So we're going to keep the party jumping. And we're probably going to be there. Not probably. I think we're going to be doing an after party. Right, at Ironclad for ticket holders. Yes. Okay, so, so if you really wanna, important right. that you get those tickets, tickets yes. so you can come to the after party because... Yes. I bet you the artists are going to be there. Oh, yeah. They're definitely going to be there because they doesn't have to leave far. No Calibud, um next gig is what, maybe an hour or so away. So mm -hmm. they, they're going to hang around for a while. And I know Steel mm -hmm. Pulse likes to party. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I've hung out with those guys a couple times. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very, yeah. very approachable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Looking oh, yeah. forward Actually, to David jokes on up. me, about it, but that's a long story. We'll tell you at the after party. Okay. <laughs> yeah. oh, you can tell me after this, too. Yeah. Um, anything else that you want everybody to know? You know, just come out and um, enjoy, support the local effort. Um, you know, like Kevin had said earlier, this is all local production, all local promotion. And like I said, I don't like to use the word local, but that's only reference to, to that's only refer to the band. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought it was just reference <laughs> but, to Wilmington. But Wilmington, yeah. Only locally because happening to Wilmington, Wilmington. because yeah. I don't yeah, know a lot no of other places that you can go. are involved, involved in this. Yeah. This is Paul's vision and, you know, the friends that are working together to make this happen. And just one thing I want to tell most people, over the years when I do anything like this, the vendors in that we choose to be at any one of the different vendors, um, event, I've never charged them a dollar. Right, we do have some local vendors yes. that will be there as well. And I've never That's charged beautiful. them a dollar. I, I've, even when I did Greenfield Lake, I did it, and other people wanted to said, okay, if Port City Reg is allowed to have vendors, then we want to have vendors in charge, and they kind of let them know that he did not charge vendors. And then that led me to all look and people to look, and I said, okay, so all these other shows going, they don't invite the local vendors because it's a hassle, it's more work, on their part, and they're not making any money off it. So I got asked that, then why have vendors if you're not making any money? And I said, well, if you look at the vendors in that we select, 
most of these people are just doing a little hustling, as we would say, to make mm -hmm. ends meet and a few dollars. What am I going to charge them? Doesn't make sense. I'm going to say, I mean, really. So the beauty about it is getting the community involved. The beat around it to show these people that there's someone here also care who doing on doing this level of event, and you're welcome to be there. There's no charge to you. This, you know, it's like anything else. There's just certain protocol you gotta follow, and you know, get your city whether it's a health permit, tax paper, whatever. Do that because that's the regulation. But in terms of a fee to come to and vend, no. But one last thing on the vendors. We only have a few because we're trying to, you know, keep the space for the yeah. people for the show. So yeah. there's only going to be a few there. But and when more shows come, we will alternate those vendors as well, bring others in, and make it fair to everyone. You know, yes. so everyone gets a chance. Well, I love that you're putting on this event for the people. You know, not for, for not for yourself. Yeah. Um, I love that you are keeping reggae music alive in Wilmington. So I know you don't need thanks, either one of you, but, you know, I would love to express my gratitude. You're um, going to be at the show, right? Yeah. Of course. Oh, I'm going to be doing interviews at the show, actually. Okay, cool. Uh, backstage and out in the crowd. Right, right. Um, because my vision is bringing uh, the reggae family together. All right. So, Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. So I'll be there yeah. as well. Um, thank you all for listening, watching if you're on YouTube. Uh, Hourglass Podcast. Please share this episode. If you love reggae music, if you love music, you know, and you live in Wilmington, all of those things are uh, a good enough reason to share with your friends. So thanks so much for listening, for watching, and we'll see you next time on the Hourglass Podcast. Right. Thanks for having us. Yep. For sure. Thank you.